Podcast Network. The light shines brightest on our indie podcasts. Welcome to Ford in Vegas, a true crime podcast for the ages with two friends who hate each other. I'm Ford and I am by myself on this episode as uh, Jelly Vegas is unable to make it this evening, but that's okay because we're going to do this thing without him. The wheel will keep turning. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the subscribe button and don't forget to like the video. Also, if you are on the go, you can subscribe to this show as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening to the podcast, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And if you want to watch the show, you could do so at FordInVegas.com where you could click on the YouTube link. This show in podcast form is ad-free for just $3 a month. If you want to help and support the show financially, you can do so. And in return, we give you this show ad-free with no commercials. You can do so on our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Ford in Vegas. You can follow this show on Twitter, which is also at Ford and Vegas. And if you want to buy a Ford and Vegas shirt, you can do so at shopfordandvegas.com. And we always recommend the soft, premium soft tea there at uh, shopfordandvegas.com. And we are a proud member. Of the Darkcast Network, the best indie true crime podcast network on God's green earth. Let's begin tonight with probably the number one story that doesn't involve Nashville. The husband of a missing Massachusetts mom, Anna Walsh. The husband's name is Brian Walsh. He has been officially indicted for her murder four months after she vanished from a New Year's Eve party. That's right. Brian Walsh is 48 years old. He's been indicted by a Norfolk County grand jury for murder, as well as for misleading a police investigation slash obstruction of justice and for improper conveyance of a human body. Anna, who's 39 at the time, she went missing from a New Year's Eve party around 1.30 a.m. on January 1. Brian uh, Walsh entered a plea of not guilty, of course, to the charge of murder at his Quincy Court District arraignment in January. The indictment moves the case of the missing and presumed dead mother up to the Norfolk, uh, Norfolk Superior Court. As of March 30th, Anna's body has yet to be discovered. Good luck, because it sounds like this body's been chopped up, dismembered, 
and disposed of probably in some disposal, some trash yard, some incinerator. DNA evidence located throughout the investigation, however, indicates that Brian killed, he dismembered, and discarded his wife's body parts. He is being held without bail. Anna was eventually reported missing on January 4 after her employer said that she did not show up for her work shift. In an initial interview, Brian told police that he last saw his wife when she left for Boston's Logan Airport on January 1. Sadly, though, there were no flights purchased for Anna Walsh on January 1 from Logan Airport. He was arrested just mere days later on January 8 on suspicion that he misled a police investigation, obviously. Originally, he was held on $500,000 bond after investigators said they found blood and a broken knife in the family's basement. Blood and a broken knife in the family basement. The basement, by the way, in the home which Brian Walsh shared with Anna Walsh and their three kids. Police also said they had surveillance video of Brian wearing a medical mask and surgical gloves and not because of COVID-19. He also purchased $450 worth of cleaning supplies with cash at a Home Depot. I won't spend $450 in cleaning supplies in three years. This guy did it in one one trip to Home Depot. If convicted of first-degree murder, Brian faces a mandatory life sentence in prison without the possibility of parole. And this guy should not get parole. And this is when you start to feel bad for the three sons who now have lost their mother and subsequently have lost their father all in one January night. In January, speaking of which, Anna's DNA was discovered on several items And prosecutors said Brian made a series of disturbing Google searches, including how long before a body starts to smell, how to stop a body from decomposing. Spoiler alert, I don't think he can. He also Googled how to embalm a body. And if that wasn't enough, he also Googled 10 ways to dispose a dead body if you really need to. The Massachusetts husband also Googled dismemberment and what happens when you put body parts in ammonia. Other Google searches for hacksaw best tool to dismember and can you be charged with murder without a body were also allegedly located at the time. Also, spoiler alert, you can 
be charged without a body. In the basement of the couple's Cohasset home, police found blood, a bloody knife, another knife, a heavy-duty tarp, and plastic liners. They also recovered trash bags, some of which contained blood-stained items, including towels, rags, slippers, cleaning agents, carpets, and a Prada purse. Anna's COVID-19 vaccination card was also inside along with a hacksaw. Probably because he Googled hacksaw best tool for dismember. So there you go. There was a an extensive digital trail for police with Google searches about divorce, murder, dismemberment, and decomposing bodies. I mean, on January 3rd at 4.55 a.m., he Googled, can baking soda make a body smell good? I mean, some perfume might. Maybe some Axe. He's trying to stop a body from decomposing. I don't think that's possible. And uh, I'm not going to Google it to find out. But I don't think you could stop that. I mean, there were other searches. What does formaldehyde do? How long does DNA last? Can an ID be made on partial remains? How to clean blood from a wooden floor. Luminol to detect blood. What happens when you put body parts in ammonia? We already talked about that. Is it better to throw crime scene clothes away or wash them? I mean, this is about a slam dunk as you can get. This is more of a slam dunk than Murdoch. And Murdoch was also a slam dunk. Once we knew that voice was his on the Snapchat video. But this is a slam dunk. This is an alley-oop. This is like a, this is like an all-star game slam dunk where they don't play any defense. Prosecutors have alleged Brian was unhappy in the marriage and wanted out. On December 27th, Walsh, uh, Walsh Googled, what's the best state to divorce? So how do you go from December 27th Google search of divorcing the wife to January 1st butchering the wife, dismembering the wife? That is an escalation of, of pretty epic proportion. Sounds a little premeditated as well. Police say he later changed his mind about how to rid his wife of Anna, his life rather, how to rid his life of Anna. After he was initially charged with misleading police in January, uh, Brian was charged with Anna's murder on the 17th. So from the 8th to the 17th, this thing completely changed. Friends say the couple's marriage was strained as a result of Anna's grueling work schedule, which meant they spent much of their time living apart. 
Anna lived partially in Washington, D.C., and Brian and their sons in Massachusetts. It was a person with Tishman Spare, the real estate company which Anna worked for, who reported her missing in the first place. It wasn't even the husband who reported her missing. Because why would you need to report someone missing when you know where the body is? Where you know they're not really missing. They're not really missing. We know where she's at. A man who identifies himself as the firm's head of security in Washington, D.C., in Washington, D.C., called police in Cohasset to request a welfare check. These statements contradicted Brian's lawyer's claim in court that he had notified her work that she was missing. Wrong. That's a lie. Just before she went missing, Anna was also photographed without her wedding ring in some of the final photos. Friends say there was tension in the marriage because of her work schedule. Her friends are now appealing for care for her children. One person who has openly stated that they do not believe Brian would have wanted to hurt Anna is the woman's own mother. The Serbian foreign ministry said Malanka Jubikikik. <laughs> That's a tough one. Signed a formal request to receive documents about the case regarding her daughter's disappearance. She still resides in Serbia, told local media that she could not believe her son-in-law would hurt her daughter despite him being charged with her murder. So this idiot is, is going to be somebody that the defense is going to, you know, the defense is going to be all over this woman and her statements that she does not believe Brian did this. Does she understand Google searches? Does she understand what we have here? We have a blatant, it is, it, he's on surveillance. In January, the mother told Fox News Digital that she had conversations with her daughter just prior to her vanishing. She just said, please, mama, come tomorrow. The survey woman said, clearly there must have been some problems. And now I can't forgive myself for not just letting things fall where they may. Just go and whatever happens to me happens. And his mother told the outlet. So Anna kind of, you know, tips her off. Says that we got, we got some problems here. There are some problems on the home front. Can you please come? The mother doesn't come. The daughter ends up dead. Now the mother has a hard time believing that a man who Googled how to kill his wife and now his wife is dead, the mother has a hard time believing that he did it. This has to be some sort of uh, mental denial. Has to be. There's some sort of psychoanalyst here that would be able to Put the finger on why this woman seems to think that this guy didn't do it when it is pretty clear and evident and obvious that if he didn't do it, 
he played a serious role in it happening. According to arrest records and local outlets, Walsh is, uh, Brian Walsh, of course, is no stranger to legal trouble. In 2018, he was convicted of fraud for stealing and attempting to sell two fake Andy Warhol paintings that he advertised as being genuine. He was the son of a wealthy family who he, who he is now estranged from. In court filings, his family accused him of stealing millions from his elderly father after the man suffered a stroke. Brian Walsh not playing with a full deck of cards or Brian Walsh feels like he is untouchable. Family friends called him a sociopath and said he all he ever cared about was his father's money. Money can make you do some evil things. The cliche is money is the root of all evil. There's a reason why that cliche exists. Brian and Anna originally met in 2008 while she was working at a hotel in the Berkshires. The pair married in Serbia in 2015 and later, as I mentioned earlier, welcomed three sons. Anna started working for Tishman Speyer in February of last year, accepting a role as the general manager of the company's Washington, D.C. office. Despite not having uncovered Anna's body, investigators say that they have enough genetic material to tie Walsh to the murder of his wife, much to his murdered wife's mother's chagrin. Brian Walsh is the person who killed Anna Walsh. And that is pretty obvious. I don't know why the mother is in denial. Because to me, it sounds pretty obvious. From the Google searches to the blood, it sounds like this should be a slam dunk. Don't expect a six-week trial like you had in the Murdoch case. I would be surprised if this thing even goes to trial. Maybe Brian play. No, I think Brian's going to ride this thing out for as long as he can, actually, on second thought. But it's pretty obvious that... Uh, That he did it. It is uh, pretty obvious. Also, a uh, story out of Las Vegas, which is uh, pretty obvious. Nevada prosecutors will not be seeking the death penalty for a 28-year-old woman accused of murdering her own mother, reportedly with shards of broken glass, like she was some kind of inmate. This happened in October of 2022. Hend Bustami is 28 years old, has pleaded not guilty to an open murder charge in Clark County for the October 26th death of her 61-year-old mother, Afaf 
in their Las Vegas home. She is also charged with evading arrest in San Bernardino County, California. Evidence presented in court includes photos of the crime scene where broken shards of glass on the ground and Bustami's arrest in California showing her cut-up hands. Prosecutors also presented a 911 call in which Bustami can be heard allegedly admitting to the crime. That's right. She admitted to the crime. I think I killed my mommy, is reportedly what she told to dispatchers in October. Now that's some sort of disconnect in the wiring. I think I killed my mommy. The the use of the word mommy, it has to mean something. I don't know what, because I, I don't have any walls of degrees. I just have walls of true crime pictures behind me, but it could also be she just referred to her as mommy, but it's a little weird still call her mommy after you stabbed her to death. When a dispatcher asked why the killer, um, sorry, why the caller thinks she killed her mother, Bustami says that she murdered her and cut her neck off with a shard of glass. About two months prior to the murder of the mother, on August 31, Bustami was arrested for violating airport rules and failing to pay a Chili's restaurant tab at Harry Reid International Airport in Paradise, Nevada. She told police they were only arresting her because they had never seen anyone as good-looking according to their police report. Police said at the time that the 28-year-old was belligerent with officers, go figure, saying that she was being harassed because cops had never seen anyone as pretty as her. Bustami, who had an active warrant for his arrest, her, for her arrest at the time, also said, quote, she was going to spit on all the officers and that the officers were perverts who were trying to rape her because they had never seen anyone as good-looking. So there you go. There is, like I said, there sounds like there is a, a, a wire loose, a screw loose, but it is kind of telling where she goes right to the you're trying to rape me thing. That is a problem. I'm sure that is a problem that police officers, especially male police officers, are going to face in, in times like the ones that we are living in. She's crying rape. They're arresting her for being a thief. She's crying rape and saying that you ain't never seen anyone this hot. That is why you're arresting me. Kind of weird. More uh, signs of the times. Also signs of the times. An Indian judge turns to chat GPT 
to help decide bail for a murder suspect. That's right. A judge asked ChatGTP, if you're unfamiliar, it's the artificial intelligence thing. It's, uh, it's, on a, it's on their computer. You can't get it on an app. So if you think you have it on an app, it's not really ChatGPT. But you can get it on the computer. And it's artificial intelligence. So you can, you know, type stuff and it'll figure stuff out for you and it'll help you whatever you need, whatever you want to do with it, whatever questions you want to ask, it'll give you answers. It's an artificial intelligence. It's AI, baby. It's taking over the world. We'll have a little fun with the AI next time Vegas is here. We'll do a little chat GPT. But this Indiana, this Indiana, this Indian judge, <laughs> not in Indiana, this Indian judge asked uh, chat GPT, what is the jurisprudence on bail when an assailant assaulted with cruelty? That's right. The artificial intelligence tool jet, G- chat uh, GPT has alarmed Americans who are concerned about liberal biases and automating jobs. But new concerns were raised this week when a court in India used a controversial technology to help decide bail of a murder suspect. India's Punjab and Harwana High Court on Monday enlisted the technology during the trial of murder suspect Jaswinder Singh. Judge Anup Chitkara reportedly asked GPT, quote, what is the jurisprudence on bail when the assailant assaulted with cruelty? End quote. Chat GPT gave a detailed response, a much, much more detailed response than I would ever be able to give. Quote, the jurisprudence on bail for cases where the assailants have assaulted with cruelty will depend on the specific circumstances of the case and the laws and regulations of the jurisdiction where the case is being tried. However, in general, if the assailants have been charged with a violent crime that involves cruelty, such as murder, aggravated assault, or torture, they may may be considered a danger to the community and a flight risk, end quote. uh, GPT reportedly responded, in such cases, the judge may be less inclined to grant bail or may set the bail amount very high to ensure that the defendant appears in court and does not pose a risk to public safety, end quote. Chat GPT wasn't there, wasn't done there. No, it continued, quote, the severity of the assault, the defendant's criminal history, and the strength of the evidence against them are all factors that a judge will consider when deciding whether to grant bail. It is important to note that the presumption of innocence is a fundamental principle of the justice system, and all defendants are entitled to bail unless they are, there are compelling reasons to deny it. Therefore, even in cases where the assailants have assaulted with cruelty, they may still be granted bail if the judge determines that they do not pose a risk to the community or a flight risk, end quote. Judge Chikara rejected the defendant's bail request. Chikara, while dismissing the bail plea, observed causing death 
itself is cruel, but if the cruelty causes death, the tables turn, and when the physical assault is done with an element of cruelty, the parameters of bail also change, end quote. It is the first time that the Punjab and Harana High Court used chat GPT, which sits under the umbrella of generative AI. So there you go. And if you're new to Ford in Vegas, a true crime podcast for the ages with two friends who hate each other, if you're new here, you're probably wondering, where's Vegas? He's not here, obviously. But, but, how we like to end the show is probably the most rewarding part of a true crime podcast, in our, my opinion. Solved cold cases. So every episode, we like to end the episode with a solved cold case, if they exist. This one's out of Lincoln County. For more than 38 years, a body dressed in a pinstripe suit and tie discovered by a farmer in rural Lincoln County remained a mystery. Police knew the man was middle-aged and had been dead for months from a gunshot wound to the back of the head. But investigators were never able to name the victim, let alone the killer, until a break in the case last month. A DNA match finally identified the victim as Jack Langenneckert, a 50-year-old real estate agent who had been living with his wife and son in Florissant when he went missing in 1982, the Lincoln County Sheriff's Office announced in a press conference yesterday. The breakthrough is thanks to forensic genetic genealogy, the increasingly common practice of identifying DNA through comparisons of genetic profiles and genealogy databases. Now that detectives have a name, Captain David Hill said Wednesday they are working to solve who killed Langenneckert and how his body ended up on a Lincoln County farm. One of the interesting things about cold cases that are this old is you have to rebuild. Who do they hang out with? Who are their friends? Where did they work? What did they do? Authorities believe Langenkart died not long after he went missing in 1982. His car was found a week after his disappearance at the St. Louis airport. His body found months later on June 11, 1984, inside a pump house near Highway F outside of Troy, Missouri, as the locals call it, in rural Lincoln County. He was wearing an expensive Bill uh, Blass gray suit with red pinstripes, a Windsor tie, and a cashmere peacoat. He had a gunshot wound to the back of his head. Judging by pictures, Langenneckert stayed well-dressed most of the time for his work in real estate. Hill said it was too early in the investigation to elaborate more on the details of Langenneckert's disappearance, including why he may have been killed. So, while we uh, normally like to do the salt cold case variety, I felt like this was a good story because this is, again, using technology. Um, and this time, we were able to find out that who this man was put a name to this body that they found in 1984. That is a giant step. And it's good for the Langenneckert family. 
Lincoln Neckett's remains were tested for DNA in 2015, but lab searchers weren't able to find a match in the CODIS database, which includes DNA profiles obtained by law enforcement. The sheriff's office reopened the case after a Southeast Missouri State University anthropology professor, Dr. Jennifer Bankston, offered in 2021 to help the cold case unit identify human remains. Bankston's team has worked on cases across the state, including helping in another Lincoln County case to identify remains found in the river, uh, the the Cuver, Cuver? How do you guys pronounce that for anybody in St. Louis? The River State Park near Highway KK in 2006, the death was not a criminal investigation. The professor and her advanced students identify which parts of skeletal remains are best for testing and pay through grants and donations for DNA labs to do genetic analysis. Authorum, a private DNA lab specializing in cold cases, performed the analysis in Lincoln Neckert's case. The number of human remains still left identified is a tragedy of the scale that most people don't realize. Even though my lab is small, I'm really proud of my students for helping bring answers to these families. The lab is small, but the results are big. The case is the latest among dozens of national and local cold cases to find recent breakthroughs from advancements in DNA analysis. So we will follow this story and hope that um, they eventually figure out who killed this poor man in 1984. He went missing in 82. So maybe he was he was murdered in 82. They found the body in 84. They found the car in 82. But rest in peace, Mr. Jack Langeneckert. And hopefully they find who did it. Remember, if you're watching this show on YouTube, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and don't forget to like the video. Also, if you're on the go, you can listen to this show uh, as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening to us on the podcast right now, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Also, um, if you are a Spotify listener, you can now watch the show on Spotify. This show in podcast form is ad free for just $3 a month which goes to support the show, simply go to patreon.com forward slash Ford in Vegas. You can follow the show on Twitter at Ford in Vegas. And if you want to buy a Ford in Vegas shirt, you can do so at shop And we always recommend the premium soft. It's the highest quality. We are a proud member of the Darkcast network, the best indie true crime podcast network on God's green Earth for Vegas, who's not here. I'm Ford, and we'll see you guys next time right here on Ford in Vegas, a true crime podcast for the ages with two friends who hate each other. Fuck you, Vegas.